This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome to the podcast. Why should you listen to today's show? I would say probably it's going to bring you a lot of joy. A lot of joy? Yep. Uh, going to make you happy. Happy? Make you want to have a party. Party? Because of all the wonderful things going on in the world around you. Or it will be none of that, but you'll still really <laughs> like it because you're going to learn a lot of stuff that you may not want to know, but you kind of have to know. Um, some really important things from Mike Lee. Uh, also, a guy who's written a book called Who Was Karl Marx? It's not just who he is, and you'll be amazed if you don't know the history of Karl Marx, um, but also how all of these things that he said he was going to do are now being done. And if you know it, it changes the response and it gives us a path forward. All that and more on today's podcast. Don't forget, 9 p.m. tonight on blazetv.com my explanation on the constitution the bill of rights and the declaration of independence i can break things down and let you know can the government do that or not a really easy trick if you will and you don't have to read the darn thing isn't that great all on tonight's tv broadcast at nine right after a brand new student Here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Senator Mike Lee is uh, joining us now. Thank you. I know you just had to you had to cast a vote and you got another one coming up. So I appreciate the time you're taking with us, Mike. Anytime. Um, Mike, I am more and more concerned about our nation uh, with every day that goes by. Uh, I know you have the same pit in your stomach that I have every day. Uh, As I go to work, I look at things like, for instance, the FBI now now going to be used uh, as a weapon uh, on behalf of CRT and these school boards. That's that's not what the the FBI is supposed to be doing. That's a state thing. But it's now almost like the FBI is an arm of the Justice Department and and the Justice Department will defend them. Yeah, look, Glenn, I find this really disturbing to me. The memo feels like code for we'll take over the parenting from here. We've got this. It's also code for parents suggesting that they shouldn't have a say in their children's education. So first we have teachers and we have their unions uh, and also people like Terry McAuliffe, who have basically been saying, "Eh, hey, it's our job, not the parent's job to decide what your kids are taught and how they're being taught. And now the attorney general is using the force of the FBI to stop parents from having any say in what's being taught in their children's schools. Now, look, every state in the union has laws that protect people, including school officials, against assault, against 
uh, all kinds of harassment. If they actually commit a crime, state and local authorities are able to deal with that. Right. I, 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 I do not see any reason why the FBI should step in here, uh, other than perhaps to send this message to parents. We'll take the parenting from here, and we're going to federalize these issues down your throat. Mike, the, in the stimulus bill, uh, there is the the right for the, or no, not the right, the instruction f- to the banks that they have to report any transaction. Um, I've heard two things. I've heard $600. I heard yesterday morning that that has been removed and made uh, $10,000. But I don't know what the truth is anymore. But that's not that's 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 a violation of my Fourth Amendment rights. No, it, it absolutely is. This, this, they might as well uh, claim that they have general warrants against the American people. And wasn't wait a minute, wait a minute. Explain general warrants. Isn't general warrant exactly one of the reasons why we broke away from the king? Yes, yes. There's any one policy. It could be said to have been the straw that broke the camel's back. It may have been general warrants. That is to say that the Crown and Parliament were so aggressive and so insistent that the American colonists be brought to heel, that they issued these documents that didn't bother to go after particular information. It basically just said, uh, if you need any information to use on behalf of the King and Parliament, uh, you, you can get that information. They kicked down people's doors. They rifled through their personal effects. And it was all okay because the government said so. so that, this is the sort of thing that is abusive, and it's the type of abuse of government that caused us to separate from the mother country and to create our Constitution. We are also being told that we have to have a vaccine mandate. And if I'm not mistaken, a vaccine mandate can be done by individual states, but not by the federal government. Is that correct? We've never, ever in the history of our republic had the federal government issue a general vaccination mandate. Not to be confused with something that affects particular employees of the federal government, like the troops. It's a different category, but a general population-wide mandate never had that. And so, look, Glenn, they're weaponizing OSHA. They're weaponizing the Centers for Disease Control. They've weaponized the Department of Justice, the IRS, the FBI. This is, this is unacceptable. The Constitution is clear. We have got to fight to protect it. Freedom doesn't pass to us through the bloodstream, as Ronald Reagan famously said. We have to fight for it. We have to defend it. We have to win it at every stage. So and how- that means pushing back hard when we see these things happening calling them out for what they are, which is aggressive abuses against the people. So it doesn't seem, Mike, like there's a lot of people in the Senate or the House. I mean, you know, I'm concerned about the the two point five trillion dollars, the three point seven, whatever it turns out to be. I'm concerned about the spending, but I am also probably more concerned about the infrastructure that these bills will allow the government to build. And they're very yeah. dangerous. Yeah, it's as though they're saying, uh, we, we need problems for government to grow. So we're going to fund the creation of more problems so that we can grow the government bigger, so that we can create even more problems. 
and perpetuate the growth of big, aggressive government. And you're exactly right with respect to the IRS. We're talking about pumping in uh, an enormous sum of money uh, to new law enforcement. At the same time, we're dramatically expanding the, the, the reporting obligations of banks in a way, by the way, that will probably drive a whole bunch of community banks out of business. Oh, of course it will. Because they're just the regulatory compliance costs of this. And so, look, it's important to remember, Glenn, that there are a whole lot of constitutional infractions that are rarely challenged in court, or when they are challenged, they're challenged inadequately or too late to matter. Most of what defending the Constitution is all about doesn't necessarily involve litigation because you don't have time or resources to litigate each and every instance. What that means is for our constitutional republic to survive, for the Constitution to have meaning, we have to defend it in the political branches and at the citizen level every single day and call these things out and use what power we have in each branch to counter abuses in the other branches. But but everything is being couched as, uh, for instance, let me play let me play what the president said yesterday about being complicit with America's decline. Listen to this. It's cut four. Do we have it? These bills are not about left versus right or moderate versus progressive or anything that pits Americans against one another. These bills are about competitiveness versus complacency. They're about opportunity versus decay. They're about leading the world or continue to let the world pass us by, which is literally happening. To support these investments is to create a rising America. America is moving. To oppose these investments is to be complicit in America's decline. I found I found that extraordinarily disturbing because the word complicit, that is a legal term, if I'm not mistaken, um, that you are engaging in some illegal activity. You are doing something to harm uh, the the Constitution. But maybe that's just a play on words. But listen to how that is being. Go ahead. It's not. That's exactly what he wants you to think. He wants to accuse you of some sort of abstract crime against humanity or at least crime uh, against the social welfare state or crime against uh, the excessive growth of the federal government. But, Glenn, that that was only the second most disturbing feature of that Mm -hmm. clip. The most disturbing feature of that clip is that what Joe Biden seems to be saying, what he seems to be assuming, the underlying assumption in all of this, is that he's not talking about America, the country, the nation, the people. He's talking about the United States government. There's a vast world of difference, a huge gulf between those two things. He wants to grow the federal government. The problem with government, Glenn, and the problem with growing the the federal government in particular, you can't do it except at the expense of the liberty and the prosperity of the people. He knows that. He's willing to make that sacrifice. We as people aren't. We have to counter him. So how do we do that, Mike? All right. So at, at every stage, people need to be reaching out to their elected officials, uh, especially their. Does it actually work? Does it, Washington. Does it actually it does. work? It helps. Look, I routinely uh, monitor these things, uh, and I know my colleagues do as well, and encourage them as specifically as you can uh, to push back on things like and including and right now, especially in the vaccine mandate. It's not just about the vaccine 
And look, I, I've been vaccinated. My family has, too. I think that the vaccine is generally safe. But the federal government has no business making this decision for people who may have natural immunity or may have religious objections or may have a medical condition or may, for whatever reason, not want to do it. It's none of the federal government's darn business. So members of Congress need to hear that. They need to hear uh, that we need to be, keep pushing things. Like Senator Roger Marshall ran last week an amendment to the continuing resolution. Uh, that w- would deprive the federal government of any funds to implement the vaccine mandate. It, all 50 Republican senators voted for it. Not a single Democrat did. Actually, Joe Manchin initially cast his vote as yes, and then late in the vote, switched it to no. All of us need to hear over and over again that we need to keep bringing that up and that we need to not fund the government if funding the government means we have to fund this unconstitutional mandate. Well, that would be, um, you know, the debt ceiling, um, not funding the government. Uh, is is this going to pass? Is Mansion and Cinema are they going to just are they going to fold on this? Are we getting this package? Hey, the bottom line is, I'm certain that they will end up doing it, and they will end up passing a variation of the reconciliation package. It remains to be seen how long it'll take for them to get there. But they do operate as something of a well-oiled machine, and that's, that's troubling. But, Glenn, we, we do have some role in this. We're, we're not entirely an, an object to be acted upon. Uh, we, as a citizenry, have always been in charge of our own government. We remain the sovereigns. The more we can act like it and the more we can take ownership of it individually and speak to our friends and our neighbors in addition to our elected officials, uh, our bosses, our colleagues at work, uh, even those that we think we don't like at the moment, talk to them about why this matters. Talk to them about uh, what's at stake and about the fact that the entire American experiment is all about asserting the sovereignty of the people, reminding government that it works for us and not the other way around. There are far too few of us in Washington who feel that way, but I know the overwhelming majority of the American people yeah. agree. We need more of them in Washington and more of their influence felt here. One last question. Whistleblower, Facebook. This is clearly, I mean, this, this, this woman is being represented by the, the, the attorneys that we're representing and really pushing through the whistleblower uh, on Trump's uh, first impeachment. Um, she has donated to far, far left groups. She's got Obama's uh, deputy uh, press secretary working with her. This is clearly a ruse. Why would CBS all of a sudden be for this and the Democrats all for it and everybody's covering this? They want Facebook and those want more regulation. This is not something that conservatives should be for. No, that's exactly right. And, and that's what creates this fake harmony moment. No, they're not here to ask us to the prom. They're not here to join our club. There are a whole lot of people who are focused on this issue, some for the wrong reasons, namely to adopt exactly what Facebook announced yesterday that it wants, which is comprehensive federal regulation of the Jeez. Internet itself. They want the excuse, the excuse and the mandate from government to comprehensively regulate and require them to be both their, their mandator and their excuse for even more obsessively censoring speech. That's wrong. And so look, I, I'm, in this area and, and everything else, 
I need your help, but I, I, I want you to know, and I want all of your listeners to know. I'm fighting like hell on this, on every one of these fronts, and uh, I will fight as long as I'm alive, breathing, and in, in the United States Senate. We need all hands on deck right now, and um, uh, we can. Uh, we must always fight peacefully, but with the understanding also that the Constitution is on our side, natural law is on our side, the spirit of freedom that, that lives and beats within the heart of each of us. Uh, is stronger than government, uh, as overpowering and intimidating as it can be. It's a difficult fight. Uh, I'm in it. And anyone who, who wants to join in the fight and help me in this effort, I encourage them to go to leeforsenate.com and ask them for their help. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Leeforsenate.com. You, so you bet. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Let me talk a little bit more about what the federal government can and cannot do. Let me start with the banks. Um, they want a proposal uh, or they have a proposal now. Uh, the Biden administration uh, has it in the infrastructure bill. Internal Revenue Service will be notified by the banks on transactions. Every transaction over six hundred dollars. Janet Yellen in the Treasury Department is calling this collection of information routine. Really? Then why do you have to change the law on that? Now, she says it's because the banks already report interest on any bank account that uh, earns more than $10 of interest. I thought it was because they already routinely break the law. Yeah, so they, they very well could be. Very well could be. This is, uh, she says, right now, every bank account that earns more than $10 a year in interest, the banks report the interest earned to the IRS. That's part of the information base that includes W-2s and reports on dividends and other income that taxpayers earn. So collection of information is routine. Okay, great. Then why do you need more? Why do you need more information? Here's why. She said there's an enormous tax gap. In the U.S. And that's the reason they need this information. Blaming the gap on places where information on income can be hidden. Okay. Well, if you want to talk about um, uh, income that can be hidden, then let's talk about illegal immigrants. Okay. Let's talk about that. Yeah, no, I know it's it's well, it's dangerous to even say illegal immigrants. Now, I know a lot of them steal somebody else's identity and pay taxes, right? But they're stealing someone else's identity and paying in. Others are paid in cash. Well, we should have digital currency. Do you see where this is going? Somebody's always going to be avoiding something somewhere. Illegal aliens, they pay taxes. How many times have you heard that? They pay taxes. They pay more taxes than most people. Do they? Do they? 60% of this uh, population, as of last year, don't pay any taxes. You think the legal aliens are paying the tax? Do you? Really? Hmm? This is to control you. You say something... You're on a different side. You're, to quote Joe Biden, complicit with the American decline because you disagree with him. 
you will see an IRS, IRS agent at your door. Now, here's the difference between America and the rest of the world. America was great because America was good. But what made America good? The people. The people made America good. Not the government. The people and the churches. Our faith made America good. And we kept the government at bay. In other countries, you're assumed, you're assumed guilty. Here in America, you are innocent until proven guilty. By taking your information from your bank account... They're saying people are avoiding taxes. So they're deeming all of us guilty and saying, we just got to find it. This is why we said when people said, I'm not doing anything wrong. What difference does it make to me? Because if there's a political agenda, they will find something. They will tie you with all of the mega data that is that is uh, available on you all of the data you don't think they can piece something together that maybe is completely untrue but you don't think they could make a case and make your life miserable remember in today's world all you have to do is be accused of something we don't wait for the trial we don't believe people are innocent until proven guilty we hear it on social media and they're guilty This collection of information, if it is routine, it needs to stop because they are weaponizing everything. The IRS is being weaponized. The Treasury Department with the banks being weaponized. Uh, The FBI going in on local issues, not, not destroying federal buildings, but parents asking the local school board questions those people are now being deemed terrorists and Antifa. Antifa, we couldn't send the FBI. We couldn't send any kind of federal aid out to Oregon. Do you remember what they said when we suggested that? Cut uh, six. Some of the recent protests against police violence and racism have been met with a federal response. And in Portland, Oregon, local officials believe that presence is causing more harm than good. It's like pouring gasoline on a Mm. fire. Your presence here isn't wanted. It's not needed. In the nature of the man to lash out, he thought, great, I'll send these federal guys to Portland. We can have a fight. But he hasn't thought through the consequences of it. Federal agencies should never be used as your own personal army. Trump troops in Portland are definitely not the answer. As we saw, this only escalates the tension uh, and we need uh, dialogue and de-escalation. I think it has a substantial chilling impact on First Amendment speech. Jay Ashley Albies, a civil rights attorney in Portland, worries the tactic may deter law-abiding citizens from participating in demonstrations. Mayors of five major cities sent a joint letter to President Trump and Attorney General Barr today calling for the removal of federal officers from their cities, saying, quote, the unilateral deployment of these forces into American cities is unprecedented and violates fundamental constitutional protections and tenets of federalism. He's stepping on uh, the, his political influence onto the 
the Department of Homeland Security to use this big law enforcement force to go beyond the scope of what their normal activities are to do. Local officials there had been allowing peaceful demonstrations without too much interference, but President Trump was not happy about that. So he decided to send in the feds. Okay, so let me just go over what they're saying. You know, I was being gracious to Joe Biden when uh, Mike Lee shockingly said, no, Glenn, that's exactly what he meant. When I said he used the um, he used the word complicit, saying if people in Congress don't go along with his spending packages, you're complicit in America's decline. Could you look that word up? That is a that's a legal term. And it means you're involved in illegal activity to harm or steal. Do you have it by any chance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, keep looking it up. And I said, I'm sure he's just using that word. And he said, no, he's using that word uh, directly. He knows exactly what that means. Now, listen. He's saying that he's sending FBI into our local school board. He's calling parents terrorists. Let me just let me just quote the left. That's like pouring gasoline on a fire. It's wrong to use the the uh, federals, uh, the Fed officers as a personal army. It's only going to make things worse. It's what we need is dialogue. This is going to deter law abiding citizens from actually protesting things in a law abiding way. This is a violation of federalism. All of those things are true, and they knew it then. They know it now. They know it now. They know exactly what they're doing. They are pouring gasoline on a fire. They are using the FBI as a personal army, one for, I think, the labor unions. It is going to make things worse because we do need a dialogue. It will, if we don't stand up, if we don't know exactly what they're doing, it will deter law-abiding citizens. They know exactly what they're doing. They're itching for a fight. They want you to strike back. They want you to do it. They will use that as the excuse to transform everything overnight. You know, there's this talk about a national divorce. We are in civil war. Just one side is fighting it. We're in revolution. One side is fighting it. The left is fighting a revolution. The rest of us are in denial. The rest of us are trying to make sure that that doesn't happen. And I include some Democrats in that as well. I mean, your neighbor Democrats, unless they're crazy and you live in San Francisco. The people who are not blind and people who do still believe in the Bill of Rights. We're all standing around going, I'm not like that. I, I don't want to be like that. I, 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 I'm so sick of Washington. I'm so sick of all of this. And we're standing around as they are changing the foundation of the very rocks we stand on. And. It's going to end in a hot war because the left wants it. They want it. I don't. I don't think you do. 
but I do want to preserve my country. And I said 12 years ago, I'm willing to split the states right now. You take 25, we take 25. We get Texas. You can take that. We get first pick Texas. You can take whatever states you want. You pick 25 and you can leave us with all of the worst states. Okay. And we will cream you in the end. Economically, the health of our society will clean your clock. But we have to build a wall around those 25 states. Let's just take everything from Texas on up. Okay, you can have the coasts. Fine. We're going to take from Texas on up. And we'll cream you. We'll cream you. Not because you don't have resources and we do, but because all of your policies are so screwed up, you'll be eating each other in a cannibalistic way within 10 years. And you know who you'll blame? Us. We have to have a wall. You're not coming in with your ideology. We have no contact with you because you will end up blaming us because you can't ever blame yourself. I'm absolutely willing to do that. No war. Just take it. Fine. Take the coasts. We're taking this. And I never want to hear from you again. You do your thing. We'll do our thing. But I'm not going to secede. I'm not seceding. I, the one thing that comes with this is you send all of those original documents to us. Because we're the United States of America. And there might even only be 25 of them. But we're the United States of America. You want to change it. You think those documents are bad. We say those documents are not being enforced. We're saying that no one is paying attention to that document. We will. We will. I don't need to change a darn thing in our Constitution. See, that's the difference. The South broke away because they wanted to change the rules. Fine. I don't want to change the rules. I want the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights, and I want them enforced. That's what government is supposed to do. Enforce those things. I want them taught in schools. You can have everything else. I don't care. I don't care. Just leave us alone. We're at that place. And maybe it's time we start having that dialogue. After the top of the hour, we have some things on who Karl Marx really was. Everybody loves Karl Marx. Um, And I'm going to tell you next hour about uh, Washington State University is leading a new $125 million USAID project to detect emerging viruses. Uh, Oh, so what they were doing in Wuhan. I know this is this is all just hearsay. No, it's not. Watch our special in a couple of weeks. What they were doing in Wuhan We're now going to have all of our universities doing it. Oh, we can find every, every possible virus from every possible animal. What could possibly go wrong? The best of the Glenn Beck program.
Simpson is a friend of the uh, program, goes way back. He was uh, helping us with uh, the cloud piven strategy of manufactured crisis and overwhelmed the system back in the day. He's back. He's got a new book. Who was Karl Marx? The man, the motives, and the menace behind today's rampaging American left. He has worked under President Reagan, H.W. Bush, Clinton. He was in the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, he is a guy who has an awful lot of credibility and has been around and has, because he's an investigative journalist, actually knows how to um, tell the right story and get the facts right. Jim, good to talk to you again. How are you, sir? Hey, Glenn. Great to be with you. Thank you. So, for having me. Uh, who was Karl Marx? Yeah, who was Karl Marx? Well, you know, he's made out to be this secular god that could never have done any wrong. But as I describe in the book, <clears throat> he is everything, everything that he claimed to hate about mm. all the people uh, he was going to destroy with the communist revolution. He was a greedy, selfish Petty, arrogant, lazy, dishonest, two-faced, lecherous, bigoted, and he brimmed with hatred. He had all the ugly characteristics he attributed to others to excuse the destruction mm -hmm. he and his followers intended to inflict on the world. He was uh, deeply bigoted. He, ha he hated blacks. He favored slavery. Uh, he called the proletariat he was supposedly going to free from their chains, stupid boys, rogues, asses. He spied for the German government on his uh, communist friends for money. And despite the fact that his father was a wealthy attorney who showered money on him, he was perpetually broke and spent his life uh, depending on small cash donations from his co-conspirator Frederick Engels who stole money out of his father's business petty cash account and then spent the rest of his time hovering over ailing relatives waiting for them to die so he could find out what he would get in their wills. This was the real guy and it turns out he is typical. Mao Zedong was the same way. Uh, Bill Ayers was the same way. The Castro brothers were the same way. These are all impossibly arrogant, greedy, selfish men who believed they had the right to own the world. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. All they were driven by, really, was power and greed. And um, the Marxism, communism, is window dressing. It's the marketing plan yes. to sell this monstrous ideology. That's what it is. It is when you actually learn about him and a lot of this stuff uh, wasn't known. A lot of the stuff was was held back yep. by the former Soviet Union and classified. Yep. And yep. I think it was a Verona paper time that that some of this stuff was released. But nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to expose it. But it's. It's all factual information, because I think his wife said this should be preserved. Yeah, well, uh, it, 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 it's definitely, you know, it's available today. In fact, a lot of the sources, a lot of my sources are come right out of a, a website called Marxist 
dot org, and uh, it's simply amazing. And you know, there's still a lot of classified stuff, uh, stuff about the Soviet communists and their various meetings, but. Marx is just amazing, just amazing, the the truth about his life. You know, two of his daughters committed suicide, a son-in-law, three of his children died of malnutrition while his wife was running around trying to raise enough money to get a coffin for one of their kids. Marx employed what one writer described as a loutish, libidinous, and otherwise useless secretary because he felt that... Uh, he, a man of his stature needed to keep up appearances. I mean, oh it's simply gosh. amazing. It's simply amazing. And this is the guy that all the leftists, all those Antifa folks rioting out in the streets, uh, claim to uh, call their own secular god. Do you get into um, his uh, faith <laughs> or lack of? I mean, there's... Um, yes, there's evidence yes. that he was um, a tortured guy and and had said in his life, I sold my soul to the devil. Yes. Um, can you talk about that at all? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, they were ethnically Jewish family, but his father converted to uh, Christianity, uh, became a Lutheran so that he could continue to practice law in Lutheran dominated Germany. And uh, Marx was raised as a Christian and actually in high school wrote beautiful Christian poetry. It's really quite stunning. I quote it in the book. Uh, But when he went off to uh, college, like we are all familiar with, he fell in with the wrong crowd. Some claim it was uh, a Satanist crowd, you know, uh, 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 Richard Wormbrand, who was a uh, uh, you know, a, a Catholic priest who was tortured uh, by his communist government. I believe he was uh, Yugoslavian or Romanian, I forget. He wrote a book called Marx and Satan. Mm-hmm. And he quotes Marx's uh, poetry after he made this conversion. Marx wasn't an atheist. He felt like he should be equal to God. And I quote a a poem right at the beginning of my chapter on Marx that describes that. And it's really a paraphrase uh, for uh, Isaiah, where he uh, where God describes Satan. I mean, it's really the same thing. uh, Isaiah says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high talking about Satan and uh Mark says, I will wander godlike and victorious through the ruins of the world, and giving my words an active force, I will feel equal to the Creator. So, Marx hated God, you know, and, and I really believe actually most atheists, if they're honest, that's the truth. It's not that they don't believe, it's just that they can't imagine God would allow, you know, all the things to happen that happen in the world and that's their rationalization but i don't think i don't think from what i've read i don't think marx was you could put him in that category um of of just can't believe that god would allow these things to happen right he was an oppositional knowing oppositional force he was 
he I think he actually believed in God and was trying to thwart him taking taking the opposite positions. Yes, exactly. No, exactly. Absolutely blazing defiance. And that pretty much defines his life and his story. I mean, all of his friends describe him as a man, uh, a destructive spirit whose heart was filled with hatred, one said. Uh, Engels said he rages without ceasing, as if 10,000 devils had caught him by the hair. Mikhail Bakunin, probably the most prominent uh, anarchist, said one has to worship Marx in order to be loved by him. One has has to at least fear him in order to be tolerated. Marx is extremely proud up to dirt and madness. <laughs> and this is the guy they founded their their whole ideology on. I mean, it's crazy. It really right. is. I want to uh, I want to switch from Marx. Um, let me take a one minute break, and then we're going to come back um, because in the book you talk about the strategies that come from Marx that are being used on us right now. And Marx, if you understand Karl Marx, it is all about hatred and and ginning up hatred and chaos and that's what's happening now uh and uh jim has some some ways and some things that we need to understand before you go in uh for an intellectual fight jim simpson author of the book who was Karl marx out today so jim your book um pretty much describes everything happening today as a result of you know Karl marx and and further developed by his followers Yep. But am I wrong saying that it is chaos and hatred is the main strategy? Yes, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, and it's really, although obviously you look at Antifa and BLM, these people express genuine hatred. I mean, it's hatred for uh, things that don't literally do not exist. It's manufactured hatred. And some of them are foolish enough to actually believe it but the strategy the strategy is to in basically intimidation i i call it psychological terrorism and lenin was the first one to really articulate that he said um <clears throat> we need to write in a language that inspires hate revulsion and scorn towards those who disagree with us, you know, not towards those who are bad or wrong or anything to those who disagree with us. And the whole point is to intimidate, marginalize, and as we're seeing, you know, destroy the reputations uh, and the lives of people who are articulate in pulling these guys' covers and showing who exactly they are. They go out to destroy them. And so uh, people don't necessarily go along with this whole idea that, uh, you know, we're white supremacists, we're a racist society and all Mm -hmm. that. But they're afraid to say otherwise because they see what happens to those people who stand up to the left. And really, nobody wants to be in that position. Nobody wants to be excommunicated from their uh, society, from their friends, from their neighbors, from their family, even uh, losing jobs. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's literal a form, literally a form of terrorism. And you know, it was started with Lenin, but it was carried forward through the Soviet Communist Party, telling Communist parties of the world. 
call our opponents bigots, racists, call them anti-Semites, call them fascists and Nazis. And so they just keep repeating that, and over time, people start to actually believe it. And then it got brought forward by another uh, hardcore communist uh, uh, who <laughs> talked about white privilege, um, Noel Ignatiev, who was actually a uh, uh, Harvard professor, even though he did not have the qualifications to be a Harvard professor, he became one anyway. Ask yourself how that happened. And he came up with the idea of white privilege. We have uh, Herbert Marcuse, who deserves a book of his own, who came up with the concept of partisan tolerance. That is tolerance only of the ideas from the left and complete intolerance right down to the level of thought of anybody who disagrees with them. And so this is where all this stuff came from. And then um, our favorite guy, Saul Alinsky, put it all together in a manual on how to destroy your enemies called Rules for Radicals. We are, I've been saying for a while, we are in a revolution, but only yeah. one side is recognizing it. And yeah, the rest right. of us are like, well, no, I, it's not that. It's yeah. right. Right. Nobody wants to think of that because uh, to do so really requires uh, a whole change in our, not merely our perspective, but in our lives. I mean, we really have to uh, get off the couch and really get to work because so we what, are what is that, our country. What does that mean? I know you, the longest chapter in the book is um, uh, all about Vaclav Havel. Um, uh, well, no. That, well, that's I, one I, of the well, ideas in that. Chapter. Yeah, I quote I quote Havel later. Uh, somebody, uh, one of my readers, sent me uh, an essay he wrote. I, I didn't actually know that he had said the same thing, but it's mm. very important because his suggestion. You know, he was uh, the leader of Czechoslovakia after the uh, Soviet Union, quote unquote, fell. You know, he was the Czech Republic's first president, and he said the only way to circumvent the communism that is deeply entrenched in the culture and the society and the institutions, which is the same problem we have here, is to create a parallel society. And you create a parallel society that everybody will find preferable because what the communists set up is so horrific. Nobody wants to be part of it. They just don't have any options. But we have a very good opportunity here, especially in state and local government. You know, we watch how the uh, uh, school boards are being overthrown. And, of course, how the national government comes in and says, well, we're going to declare those people <laughs> domestic terrorists. Right. Totally insane. But, but we have to provide those alternatives. And as we do, the votes and the money drain from the left and go back to freedom-loving America. And uh, that's what we need to do, and that chapter describes at great length, it is the longest chapter with hundreds and hundreds of suggestions on ways to do that and the things, the ways that we should behave. And in, a lot of it uh, involves things that don't really require that we really change our 
lifestyle too much because, you know, most people just aren't going to do that. Most people aren't going to go out in the street and start fighting against Antifa. Most people aren't going to stand up to this massive cultural uh, incursion that the left has successfully prosecuted over the last hundred years. So we need to figure out a way to to work that harmonizes with our abilities and, as uh, Saul Linsky said, doesn't take us out of our comfort zone. Jim, I am uh, I am I'm going to pick your book up today. I'm going to begin to read it today. Um, uh, This is the kind of stuff that I have been looking for. Uh, And, uh, you know, I I know your research. I I know, you know, this inside and out. And this is more than just knowing um, where it all came from, which is really, really important to see how it was built. But I am uh, I'm very interested in the solutions as well, because we better get moving quickly or uh, time will run out on us. Jim Simpson, the author of Who Was Karl Marx? The Man, the Motives and the Menace Behind Today's Rampaging American Left. Who Was Karl Marx? Get it wherever books are sold today. 